Second reading is from Psalm 8. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies. To silence a foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, you put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning um, as we're continuing our short series looking at some psalms. So we're continuing um, looking at Psalm 8 today, a psalm of King David, as you've just seen. Um, so let me pray. How about we pray before we begin? Heavenly Father, uh, please be with us this morning. Soften our hearts now to hear your word spoken to us. Let this word shape our hearts and our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One thing I love to do when I'm, I go camping is to stare at the stars at night. Uh, last year, Megan and I went to a place called Dunn Swamp with some friends. And um, I remember out there, and Dunn Swamp sounds like a bad place, doesn't it? Just It sounds horrible. Like, why would you go camping at Dunn Swamp? But it's actually very pleasant. I'm not sure why they gave it that name. So we're at Dunn Swamp, which is the national park. There's no light pollution out there at all. And I remember we turned off all our camping lights and just looked up at the stars. And just we were awestruck at how many stars there were. Countless stars. The whole night seemingly lit up with a dazzling light display. There's no light pollution out there at all. And I'm sure you've had similar experiences when you've gone camping or out in nature and looking at the stars. And when I lay there staring at the stars, um, I couldn't help but dwell and ponder the majesty of the power of God. That he made everything I could see in that moment. That there was no star, no galaxy, no planet that God did not speak into being. And it kind of dumbfounded me in that moment. And I think my human mind kind of hit a block. I couldn't comprehend the vastness of the universe and the vastness of God's power. And as I lay there staring at the stars, pondering God, slowly my mind turned to how small I am, to how insignificant I seem on this little blue dot floating in space, in a national park no one, where no one knows where I am, in a country called Australia, a little country, not, not by land size, but by people in Australia. 
I was so small. And I thought, why does God care about me? Why does he care about us? Now, I'm guessing most of you have had those similar kind of existential experiences as you look at the night sky, staring at nature, and then reflecting on who we are. And this is the same thing that David is doing in this psalm here. David starts this psalm by marveling at who God is and in his glory. So I'd love for you to have your Bibles open as we go through this, or it might even be up on the screen if we're lucky. Uh, So we'll start at verse 1. David says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And continuing on in verse 3, he marvels at God's power in creation. And that leads him to be awestruck. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. And David says something quite extraordinary, I think, when we think about it in verse 2. Have a look. It says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. The majesty and the power of God is so big and so great, and it's so self-evident that God is not diminished by praise from the most seemingly weak and insignificant among us. God is so glorious that the words spoken about him genuinely proclaim his glory regardless of who it comes from. God is not some worldly ruler who needs affirmation and praise from strong men. And strong women. Um, I remember a few years ago now, um, and there was some pretty extraordinary news that I was watching on the TV. The President of the United States of America had met with the dictator of North Korea. You might remember this. They'd met face to face. And apparently the purpose of that meeting was to discuss the nuclear disarmament of North Korea, although that never materialized, did it? However, in the aftermath of these meetings, there was also commentary. And that commentary said that Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea, had achieved his objective. His regime had gained legitimacy and authority by meeting with the president of the United States of America because of how powerful and how much authority that office has. Kim Jong-un craved the legitimacy and authority that came from the meeting with that particular person. His legitimacy and his authority came from meeting someone else who already had respect. God doesn't need that, does he? God's power and authority is so self-evident to everyone, he doesn't need strong people or people we respect to lend him power or authority. His power and glory is so self-evident in the universe, in creation, And it's so true that God ordains the praise of infants and babies to silence his enemies. Through the praise of insignificant infants and children, God has established a stronghold against his enemies and silenced the foe and the avenger. The contrast is stark between these two things, isn't it? Babies are weak. They seem to have no wisdom or knowledge, they are utterly dependent on others. I'm reminded about how seemingly uh, dependent babies are, even in comparison to other animals, it seems. Dogs, you can take a dog away after six weeks and they'll be fine, right? But babies, it might take 10 years, right? 
seemingly insignificant, weak, with no wisdom and no knowledge. They are insignificant in the world's eyes. And even more so back in David's day, we kind of hold up babies now, but even more so back then. But the mark of the majesty of God is that God in his majesty stoops to make babies the means of his majestic triumphs. I hope the strangeness of that kind of sinks in. It's a huge contrast. The mark of God's majesty is not that he stoops to listen to or take thoughts of or care for infants. He does those things. But it's that he makes them his triumphs. God conquers his foes through the weakness of the weak. Um, And in fact, Jesus himself quotes this verse from Psalms in Matthew 21, we read it. Jesus is in the temple and the chief priests come to him to complain about the loud children uh, running amok in the temple courts, if you like. I'm reminded of um, in church, there might be a baby kind of running around or a little toddler running around the back screaming and you might give an awkward eye glance to the mother or the father of that child. I kind of imagine this happening here. And Jesus, of course, knows what the chief priests are thinking. And Jesus says this to them. He says, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Now, Jesus is quoting the Greek version of Psalm 8 here. And he says, is it not children, the weak, the innocent, who God has ordained praise from? David reflects on the majesty of the power and the gloriousness of God and the vast creation that he has made. God's glory is so self-evident and true that he doesn't need strong or respectable people to praise him. On the contrary, God ordains the praise of the seemingly weak and insignificant babies and infants. And when David reflects on the glory and majesty of God, He is awestruck by how insignificant and small humans seem, just like I was like when I was out camping, and I'm sure you've probably had that experience as well. He is awestruck by how insignificant we seem. And David is awestruck as to why would God, in his glorious power, in the vastness of the universe, why would he care about me, about us? David does not ask if God is mindful of us. He knows that God is. And out of our seeming insignificance in the universe, God, David marvels in this psalm, has given us significance. Now, I can understand David's thoughts here. When I consider everything that God has made and done, I am struck by how small I am and in all that God would make me make us significant. From verse 5 in Psalm 8, we see four things that God has given us. It says, You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. These are four extraordinary things given to us despite despite our seeming insignificance. David contrasts the glory of God, the majesty of his handiwork, to the insignificant human. But what is extraordinary is that God, despite our insignificance, has lifted us up. He has given us power and responsibility. 
that the God who would make something so big and so vast that we can't even get our minds around it, the cosmos, he would also make something so small, us, so significant. Um, I trust that many of you have read or watched The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, If you're too small to know what that is, maybe you should ask your parents later. Now, this is a quote from that book. It's a great book. It is important and popular fact that that things are not always what they seem. For instance, on the planet Earth, man had always assumed that he was more intelligent than dolphins because he had achieved so much. The wheel, New York, wars, and so on. Whilst all the dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water having a good time. But conversely, the dolphins had always believed that they were far more intelligent than man for precisely the same reasons. Curiously enough, the dolphins had long known of the impending destruction of the planet Earth and had made many attempts to alert mankind of the danger, but most of their communications were misinterpreted as amusing attempts to punch footballs or whistle for tidbits, so they eventually gave up and left the Earth by their own means shortly before the Vogons arrived. The last ever dolphin message was misinterpreted as a surprisingly sophisticated attempt to do a double backward somersault through a hoop whilst whistling the star-spangled banner. But in fact, the message was this, so long and thanks for the fish. Now that part of the book is really funny for us, thanks for that Chris, Uh, for two reasons, I think. Uh, The first reason is because it's clearly not true. It's clearly not true that dolphins are smarter or more capable or have more authority than us. Humanity is clearly on a different playing field. We are the masters of the earth. We are the conquerors of the land and the sea. No animal comes close to rivaling us. So I think this part of the psalm here makes sense to us. We have been set apart from animals. We have and are in charge of all the animals and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. That is self-evident, I think, and I think we all think that. And the second reason why this bit of the book is so funny is also because it has a kind of a point, doesn't it? I'll read that, a bit of that quote again. It says, Man had always assumed that he was more intelligent than dolphins because he had achieved so much. The wheel, New York, wars, and so on, whilst all the dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water having a good time. But conversely, the dolphins had always believed that they were far more intelligent than man for precisely the same reasons. Our rule and our mastery of the earth is imperfect, It's incomplete. We are charged with taking care of the earth, aren't we? Yet we destroy it. We pollute it. Our master of the earth has led us to produce machines of war to kill one another in a seemingly infinitely efficient way. And on the flip side, our master of the earth is not complete yet. Yes, we can ride a horse. Well, not me, but people can. uh, And maneuver it. But we can also be trampled buy a horse, and die in an instant, can't we? We can tame animals, build cities, create electricity, create vaccines, diseases, yet half a million of us each year continually die by malaria, a disease that is carried by a seemingly stupid little animal, a mosquito. We are self-evidently set apart as humans. We self-evidently rule the earth, we know that, But it's not complete. We don't live up to the significance that God has given us. 
as humanity, we fail the calling. We fail our duties and responsibilities that are given to us, as shown in Psalm 8. Now, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament acknowledges this fact in chapter 2 of Hebrews, where this psalm is actually quoted. Hebrews 2, 6-9 says this. It says, But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus. There is one big problem. The writer of Hebrews mentions it at the end of verse 8. He says, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Humanity fails its calling. So the tension builds. How is this problem going to be solved? Man is to rule creation under God, but we do not see him ruling. The answer is this in Hebrews, but we do see Jesus. But we do see Jesus. The incomplete picture of humans ruling the world is completed by the perfect human, Jesus. This psalm and what it says about humanity finds its fulfillment in Jesus because he is the ultimate human. Jesus was who humans were meant to be. We were made in anticipation that Jesus would be the perfect us. He would be who we haven't been able to be. Now, when I read this and think about this, I'm reminded of St. Paul's words in Colossians 1. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Colossians 1, verse 15 and going forward, it says, The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus fulfills Psalm 8. He rules over everything, and everything was created through him and for him, and by him all things are held together. And Jesus solves the one big thing that us, that humans, could never rule or conquer, could we? Death. Jesus fulfills Psalm 8 by triumphing and ruling over death because we couldn't. The writer of Hebrew goes on to talk about this in chapter 2, uh, from verse 14 and 15. He says this, Since the children, referring to us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus' fulfillment of Psalm 8 as the ultimate human who rules and conquers everything means that he also rules, controls, and has conquered death. Jesus has conquered death. And that means, the writer of Hebrews says, that the rest of humanity, us, need not be a slave to the fear of death anymore. We need not be a slave to the fear of death anymore. I studied um, John Donne poetry 
in high school. Some of you might be familiar with it. And he's got a very famous uh, poem, Death thou shalt die, death be not proud. And he talks about this. He talks about how Jesus has conquered death. He has, has mastery over death, even though that we couldn't. David starts in this psalm by reflecting on the glory and the power of God and the glory is seen in the vastness of the universe. God's power is so overwhelming and infinite that he needs no strong or respectable praise. No, God's power and majesty is so self-evident that he ordains the praise of infants and babies, the weak and insignificant among us. And David sees that God's majesty is contrasted with the seemingly small and insignificant human. Yet God, who would make something so big, makes us who are so small so significant. But we know that the responsibilities and the significance that is bestowed on us is not complete in us. We fail its calling. And it takes Jesus, the fulfillment of the ultimate human, to make it complete. Jesus fulfills Psalm 8. So we're going to quickly chat through three ways that I think understanding this psalm and understanding Hebrews too uh, will change the way we live and change the way we think. The first is humility. The second is valuing humanity. And the third is praise. So let's start with humility. When we consider the vastness of the cosmos, the glory and majesty of God's power, we should be humbled. We should be humbled. Our hearts should glorify God and it should make us pause at glorifying each other. Even humans' greatest achievements seem kind of silly and insignificant in light of the power and the vastness of the universe. Be humbled, have humility before God and don't overly praise ourselves but praise God. The second one is valuing humanity. God makes us significant even when we are seemingly so insignificant. God elevates us to a higher calling and to a higher purpose and without this higher calling and without the responsibilities bestowed on us from God, we are insignificant. We don't hold any moral high ground against the animals if that's not true. So we should value humans not because of what they contribute to society or of how much money they have or of how much we like them, but we should value them because God has given them significance. So that means we value all humans, whether they are able or disabled, whether they are born or not yet born, whether they are intelligent or unintelligent, poor or rich, black or white, Syrian or Australian, we should value all of them, not because of what they do, but because of what God has given them. And I think that should influence how we live, right? Uh, that should influence how much and who we give money to. And it also should influence who we vote for, I think, and who we pray for earnestly. Valuing humanity. And I think that question of why is humanity valued, that existential question is a really great way that you can talk to your friends and family who don't know about Jesus and God. Because I think it makes sense to us, doesn't it? Even people who think that there is no God still elevate humans above all other animals. So actually, when we consider the significance of humans, 
that should lead us to God. So I think that's a really great way that you guys can actually talk to your friends and family. It's a really approachable way to introduce who God is and who we are in relation to him. There's no other good explanation for the significance we kind of give ourselves apart from the significance God gives us. So valuing humanity, that's our second one. The last one is praise. When we reflect on the extraordinary contrast between the majesty and the power of God and the insignificance and the smallness of man, David is led to praise God. In fact, the psalm starts and ends, it's kind of bookended by the same words. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Reflecting on the glory and the majesty and the power of God and then reflecting on why God cares for us and why God gives us significance when we are so seemingly insignificant, that should naturally lead us to praise God. In our hearts and minds, we should lift God up and praise him. Let me pray to finish. Uh, Heavenly Father, we know that you are infinitely powerful. Your glory and majesty is self-evident. Yet, Lord, because of your great love for us, you stoop down and give us significance in our seeming insignificance. Thank you for that. And please help us understand that Jesus, even though that we failed our calling, that Jesus came and fulfilled that. And because of what Jesus has done, we do not need to fear death anymore. Lord, I pray that this understanding will lead us to be humble before you. It'll lead us to value humanity and do practical things in our lives to value humanity, especially the disadvantaged and the oppressed among us. And Lord, I pray that this understanding will lead us to praise and glorify you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.